Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. Today's show is sponsored by Mikasa Home Inspections, Calgary's top-rated home inspection company. Mikasa understands that the highest quality of service is essential, so make sure to call Mikasa before your next real estate deal. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hi, thanks for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. Today, I had a great conversation with Anthony Theron Bernard. He's a real estate agent with EXP in Calgary that is investor-focused. Anthony also has rental properties that he manages. During our conversation, we talked about how he got into real estate investing, how his investment properties had endless issues, or at least his first one. He used all these problems as a learning opportunity. I think most people would have just been discouraged and gotten out of real estate investing, but he kept going. Plus, we went over some fundamentals of backyard suites for real estate investors. Hope you enjoy the show. Morning, Anthony. Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investment Podcast. Great to have you here today. Just wondering if you could just maybe tell me about yourself, how you got into real estate investing. For sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me as well. Very happy to be here today. So I got started in real estate investing in 2012. So I moved to Calgary from Quebec in 2011, shortly rented for about a year or so as I saved up some money. I was in a market to buy a condo originally. I looked at a bunch of condos, probably 30, 40 of them. And after a while, I didn't really like the idea all that much. It's all I could afford, but I didn't really like the idea of living in the condo. I grew up in a house with my parents. I grew up, you know, with some yard, some space. And the light bulb kind of came up at that time. And I realized, oh, if I buy a semi-detached property with a basement suite, at the time it was an illegal basement suite, then I can actually afford that as well for the same essential cost in a condo like i could qualify for mortgage for that and i would actually be living for cheaper like after you account for the condo fees the rent i was getting and all that stuff i was living for cheaper in that property so that's when the light bulb came up i purchased that property i didn't really know anything about real estate at the time i didn't grow up in a family that invested in real estate no one i knew invested in real estate so i was entrepreneurial but i didn't really have that background but that first property really opened my eyes to how powerful that investing could be. Again, you know, with the rent I was getting from the basement, I later on had my girlfriend move in as well. I was essentially living there for free. So yeah, that's a great story and great entry into real estate investing. Yeah, it's the house hacking of this world. Right? I didn't know what it was at the time, but you know. This leads right into actually my next question, which was about basically your first real estate deal. So I guess maybe let's just dive into that property you bought with the illegal basement suite. Did you end up legalizing the basement down the road or was it never allowed? After yeah. So when I purchased it at the time, it was not allowed yet because in 2012 in Calgary, you were not allowed to legalize a basement suite in a semi-detached. It had to be a detached property. And the whole property was pretty rough, to be honest. So I'll kind of go a bit over the deal. So I found that deal on MLS. It was $255,000 at the time uh, in 2012. And it was in okay shape, but very dated. Like it still had even original furniture from 1968, which is the build age of the property. Uh, I was going to ask. It had yellow on the walls, yellow trims, like all that stuff. Like it was very dated. Yeah. So, and that property was located in Huntington Hills on a actually pretty nice quiet street, like not a busy road or anything like that. So 
So yeah, I purchased that property, 255,000 with uh, 5% down as I was gonna live in it. So my first rental property, I was all in for about $13,000. We're not talking about huge investment or anything like that. That's one of the great thing I think of getting started with house hacking. You don't need a whole lot of money to get started. So purchased a property in 2012, moved in it, started to work on a few of the things that needed to be fixed on the house, like needed a new roof started to redo some of the flooring, paint, things like that. And it eventually turned into a, pretty much a full gut reno where I redid the entire basement, moved mechanical around, things like that. And uh, later, as the city allowed those type of properties to have legal suites, I legalized the basement suite. Smart. And how about with a tenant? Did When you bought it, did the tenant stay with it or did you start fresh and find your own tenant? No. So when I bought it, it was vacant. At the time, I had a friend that was looking for a property to rent. So I actually rented the unit before I even had possession of the house. And she stayed with me for quite a while, actually, for three or four years, I believe. And later in 2014, decided to move out of that house and buy a house of her own with no tenants and then kept that property as a rental. Well, not only did you do a smart real estate deal, but the learning that you would have gained from that, right? Like having to deal with a tenant, having to do renovations, and like that's huge. Totally. And I mean, it's kind of like having training wheels when you're doing a house hiking like that, because you live in the property, right? Your tenant is right below you. You've got direct supervision on what's happening. It's a lot more forgiving of an investment. So it's really a great way to get started. And I mean... Everything went wrong on that property, as a lot of the first deals do, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. The first two years, especially, were extremely rough. How and so? We, like, what made them rough? Uh, we had, I believe, three or four flooding in the first two years, one of which was sewer. Sewer backup? Um, oh, no. Yeah, like a few inches of sewer, you know, brown water in the basement. I don't know how many tenants stayed even through that. Uh, <laughs> she, she was she was awesome. She understood it wasn't my fault, but still, it was a rough situation. Sorry, was that covered by insurance or were you on the hook for that? No, I was not covered from insurance. There's only oh, one no. of those flooding that was covered from insurance. So this first one was the sewer pipe going out of the house had too much roots in it Yeah, because uh, it's an older neighborhood. So I guess it, the roots are coming in. So it plugged up and backed up in the house. Then we had the dryer drain plug up. Then we had leak from the foundation at one spot. So water, and that's not covered from insurance either because it's a slow leak, right? Over time. So we had mold remediation as well, asbestos remediation because we found asbestos in the walls as well. Oh my goodness. Uh, then we had the toilet feeder pipe explode in the basement as well. That one was covered from insurance. But yeah, that was, I believe, all in the span of two years. So it was a little rough. <laughs> and I can't believe you kept going in real estate investing. It's like you started in like one of the worst cases, right? Like it wasn't oh, yeah. smooth. It was just stress and costing it, money. It was and... tough, but that actually explains the second property that I bought, which was a new <laughs> build. Uh, I, I bought a brand new house thinking that would be less problems. It turns out it's not actually all that much better, but. At the time, I needed a break from the old properties. <laughs> it comes with its own set of unique problems, it right? It does, yeah. Luckily, I had good mentors and good support around me of other investors at the, at the time that kept me going, because without them, I would not be an investor anymore. So, Yeah. And then when you bought this first property, did you have it inspected? Were there anything that were flagged that you were aware of or what yeah, happened there? I, I did have a property inspection done. 
I believe at the time they actually had flagged that the lot drainage was not quite proper. And I kind of forgot about it, never really fixed it. And that was the source of our foundation leak later on. Mm. Uh, but all of the other issues that happened were not flagged or not really found in an inspection. I mean, obviously an inspection, they can only see, like they can't just drop anything. They can't. It's not non-destructive. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's, it can be a bit limited in scope, right? So the roof, obviously I knew about that was part of the inspection. So going in, I knew the roof had to be replaced, but those other events were unforeseen. So. Wow. So you earned your PhD in property ownership in two years. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, I'm really glad it happened all at once now in, in hindsight, <laughs> because everything after that became easy, right? I believe my first tenant that wasn't my friend was also pretty rough. She ended up damaging the property and whatnot. So I kind of started with the worst case scenario and then everything after was like easy. <laughs> so. Yeah, I bet for sure. Thanks for sharing that. So we're going to move into some questions here. So in your opinion, what's an attractive property for an investor and why? So I always look for cash flow, and that I think is even more important in Calgary than other cities because we're a cyclical market with oil and gas, a bit less so now, but we're still dependent on oil and gas. For me, looking at cash flow first, you know, it has to be positive cash flow and it has to have some buffer built in as well, is what will save you in downturn markets. I sleep very well at night with all my rental properties because of this. I know that even if rents go down, if we have a really bad real estate market, I still cash flow. And the thing with having a good positive cash flow is even if the prices fluctuate, even if the prices drop, you don't have to sell. You can keep holding on and wait for a better market cycle. So that's my first advice always. Have you been doing primarily fixed rate or variable? Because obviously as the variable rate increases, your cash flow, depending on how it's set up, could- Yeah, some down, loans right? don't adjust, but yeah. Funny enough, I've actually done only fixed rate until a year ago. Uh, a year ago was my first variable. Yeah. Honestly, I'm very much fine with variable. It just depends what the spread is, right? Like sometimes the spread is so close between variable and fixed that it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But especially in the last year or so, like a year ago, the spread was huge between variable and fixed. So much that the worst case scenario pretty much for variable was still good. So yeah. I guess with interest rates going up, rental rates are also going up, right? Which is exactly. going to help that cash flow number. And I would say today they haven't quite caught up. Like the interest rate has gone up in payments more than the rents have gone up. But I suspect that's going to improve uh, in the next year. Yeah, for sure. If you could think of something, what's the best real estate investment advice that you've received? Or, yeah, or so that was actually related to cash flow. I was told very early on by my mortgage broker, who I still work today. He's an investor-focused broker. He told me, don't buy properties based on speculation, buy them based on cash flow. And then if you happen to also, you know, believe that there's going to be appreciation attached to it, that's the bonus, right? But always start with the cash flow property. Yeah. Smart. As long as that property doesn't come with major headache, because there's a certain point where hunting for extra cash flow will give you more management problems, like for example, rooming houses or things like that. But, you know, to the extent where the property is easy to manage, Focus on cash flow first. Yeah, great advice. So if someone's new to real estate investing, what kind of mistakes do you typically see, say, a rookie make? Yeah, the biggest one I see is not running the numbers properly. Some investors will look at the property. They'll be like, okay, my mortgage is this. My rent is this. My condo fees are that. I'm cash flowing, you know, if the rent is over that. 
but they often forget to include insurance. They often forget to account enough for repairs and maintenance, especially in older properties, repairs and maintenance can be significant. And a lot of the rookie investors are not budgeting enough for that. That's something I see a lot. Yeah, it makes sense. And then for your rentals, have you done any short-term or are they all the long-term rentals? No, they're all long-term. Um, I would like to try out an Airbnb soon, but for now I've only done long-term. Okay. Are you finding kind of your properties off market or you've been using the MLS to find them? How do you find most of your properties? So all of them were on market. One I managed to catch on Facebook just before it came on the market, like a day before the owner happened to post about it on Facebook. So I was able to get in front and not go in bidding war, but they were all on market properties. Like there's a great deal on MLS. A lot of people think that they can only find good deals off market. The reality in Calgary is some of the off market deals are worse than on market. Because some realtors sometimes will try to sell their properties off market, get a feel for how much interest there is. And if there isn't a lot of interest, they'll lower the price and list it. So it's not always better deal off market. Yeah, for sure. Any favorite neighborhoods in Calgary that you like to invest in? Or is there a certain rental profile that you're looking for? Yeah, most of my properties are in Huntington Hills right now. So I'm a bit biased toward that neighborhood. Yeah, saying, you had such a good first experience. So you had to, <laughs> I had to go keep buying there. And, and the funny thing is I moved to the South. I moved to Legacy. So I keep buying North and I live South. But the North Central area has really good rent to price ratio, in my opinion. And the tenant profile is pretty good as well. So I like that area a lot. Some areas of Airdrie are actually really good as well. The rental demand is pretty high there. What area in Airdrie? Is it just all of Airdrie or is there kind of a quadrant that you... Well, most of Airdrie is really good, but some of the areas are a bit cheaper, like uh, Silver Creek and the north side, and the rents are still really good, and the demand as well. So I like that area. Otherwise, yeah, North Central, I'm pretty big fan. Bowness is starting to be interesting as well. I know people have been talking about Bowness for a long time, but it's actually starting to have gentrification now, so... There's quite a mix there. A lot of newer infills going in, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, and, it's a uh, very, course. very all over the place neighborhood. You've got, you know, million dollar houses beside Teardown. So, yeah. If you ever float that section of river, there's some beautiful properties backing onto the river there. Oh, exactly. Yeah, million dollar homes. For sure. Yeah. And there's lots of development around bonus as well right now. Like a lot of new neighborhoods like Crestmount and, you know, you get the new farmer's markets. It's really starting to improve. That's so true. I, I like that neighborhood as well. And the price points are still pretty good if you buy an older property. Yeah, for sure. We're going to jump into uh, backyard suites, carriage houses. So mm -hmm. obviously there's pros and cons to it, but we're going to take it from an investor point of view, right? So Calgary doesn't have a huge amount of backyard suites, but what would you say makes a property with a backyard suite attractive for an investor? Yeah, so disclosure, I own one of those in Airdrie and I absolutely love it. I would like to buy more. What I really like about the backyard suites, and there's different terms for them, right? Garage suites, laneway homes, and, and whatnot, is they are detached unit. So it's essentially like having a basement suite, but you're fully detached. It's a small house of sorts. So you get higher quality tenants. You can get higher rents as well. They're very easy to rent in my experience. The vacancy rate is really low. The tenants love that they can rent something at a lower price point while still having privacy and being fully detached, right? So it's an awesome property for someone that's single or maybe a couple. So yeah, they're great. And on the resale market, you can buy them for much lower than construction cost, which I also think is a great thing about them. Yeah, for sure. Do you see like multi-generational renters? We've seen it where a family would rent 
both and you have, you know, a multi-generational kind of tenants? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they are great for people that have parents living with them or family members and they want extra privacy. I also think that they're really good for house hacking, especially that some people are not okay with having tenants living in their space. You know, I talked to a lot of people where it suggests house hacking or they want to do it, but they're not willing to make that sacrifice. The backyard suites fill that gap because you can buy a great house with 5% down and have someone living in the back that pays part of your mortgage and you don't have to hear them and even see them because a lot of those suites back out in the alley. So they're great in between where you can still get that extra income and also get privacy. Yeah, for sure. I went through that myself, have my own properties, you know, you kind of progress through your properties and then end up going through a divorce and long story short, ended up buying an older property with a renter underneath. And I found it hard, hard to give up that space and have that noise exactly. and, and cooking smells coming in. And so I couldn't do it for that long. I ended up uh, having to take the whole property to myself, but it's not for everyone. Like beginners are often willing to do it on their first property. But as you get older, as you get kids, like you said, you get a family, it's difficult. And for sure. the suite is often an option to that, the backyard suites, right? So that would be the perfect solution where mm -hmm. you have that separation, right? From exactly. the Exactly. Yeah. And to me, they add a lot of safety too, where if you're a bit uncertain about your job or your income or anything like that, you always have the option to move in the suite as well and rent mm -hmm. a house and then you yep. can live for cheaper, right? So it adds a lot of flexibility. For sure. Yeah, that's huge. What kind of premium? So let's say you had pretty similar square footage, same bathrooms, bedrooms, and a basement suite versus the backyard suite. What kind of difference do you see in a... Yeah. So most of the time, the backyard suites are actually a bit smaller than basements. Okay. Uh, like the typical is, you know, 650 to 800 square feet is most of the backyard suites where basements are often a little bigger than that, especially in bungalows. And even considering that, like if I compare a thousand square feet basement with an 800 square feet backyard suite or even a little smaller, there's usually on the low end four to $500 premium for the backyard suite of extra rent than what you could get for a basement suite. Okay. And then the utilities would be separate, right? They're going to have a separate water meter, separate That's uh, really power depends. meter. So okay. if the suite was built with the house originally, they're almost always on the same meter. If the suite was added after, it really depends. Some of them have separate meters. Some of them are fed from the main house. There's actually disadvantages as well of having separate meter. Obviously, it's nice to be able to bill your tenants separately, but in the end, they end up paying more because you've got double the fixed fees, double the distribution fees and all these things. Mm. So my suite is actually fed from the main house, but again, it depends. And you can later on also get it separated, but just cost to that, right? So. Okay. And yours would be in Airdrie, is it a newer unit then? Oh, it's from 2002. And okay. the suite was built with a house. They had some backyard suite neighborhoods around there. So. Yeah. And then, so probably a not very common to see a three bedroom backyard suite. It's going to be like a no, one or that's two quite bedroom. rare. Yeah, there's some, but usually the layouts are not great either because you're trying to maximize too many bedrooms. So most of them are one to two bedrooms. There's some bachelor ones. I'm not a huge fan of those. They're usually starting to get a little too small, but one to two bedrooms is very typical. And a lot of times are they on top of a garage or is it a carport with a full suite itself? Like how does that look typically? Yeah, most of the time they're on top of the garage. Some of them are directly on the ground. They're usually called garden suites. The garage just makes sense because by building the suite, you're losing parking space, especially if you have a back alley. So 
to remedy that if you build on top of a garage and get your parking space back. And the difference in cost is not significant. So that's the typical way to build. I've also seen the opposite, which is very rare, where I've seen a garage with a suite in the basement below the garage. Mm -hmm. uh, that style is not very common. No, that wouldn't be. And then obviously, from a rental perspective, you could rent out the garage at a premium as well. Exactly. Now, it depends on your suite layout, because some suite will have the laundry in the garage, which makes it a little more difficult to rent the garage separately. But most of them have the garage in a way that you can easily rent it either to the main house or you can even rent it fully separate. Yeah, makes sense. You kind of touched on it a little bit, but what makes one backyard suite more appealing than another? Let's say if you had options. I know there's not a lot out there, but... Yeah, that's a thing for sure. So it depends if you're buying for yourself or for an investment. For me, for an investment, the price point has to be below 700000 and even ideally below 600000 for the house and the suite, first of all, which makes it a little more difficult to find for sure, but there's some out there. And I'm usually looking for one to two bedroom. I don't like the bachelor ones. I want it to have a good layout, ideally vaulted ceilings. Vaulted ceilings on these garage suites make a huge difference with how the space feels. Mm. Like my suite is only 630 square feet, but from the pictures and from a feel standpoint, when you walk in it, it looks a lot bigger because it's got the vaulted ceilings. So that's usually what I look for. And I make sure that there's good access to the alley as well, because you don't really want the tenants ideally to go to the front house. If you can have them go directly to their suite in the back, that's a lot better. So. Yeah, for sure. And I know it's not, from an investment standpoint, this is a kind of a bad idea, but if you were going to build, you know, you live in an old neighborhood, you're going to do your backyard suite in the back, what kind of costs to the homeowner to build one nowadays? Yeah, and that's something we should really discuss because I think a lot of investors don't necessarily understand well the new suite reality. And uh, the reality is that, first of all, if you have a double garage or a triple garage, chances are you can't build a suite on top of it unless it has footings and meets all the requirements. But in most cases, you will have to tear down the garage first. So, you know, having a great garage in the backyard is usually not an asset to building a suite. And yeah, the cost endpoint, it's significant right now. It's between 250 to 300,000 to build a suite, uh, all in, including utility costs and whatnot. If you're doing a new build, you might be closer to 200. You can have some savings, obviously, with running utilities while you build a house and things like that, but still significant cost. And especially given that on the resale market, they don't sell for that much in most neighborhoods, especially in the neighborhoods that we want to buy in as investors you know, like Airdrie or areas of Calgary that are a little cheaper. On the resale market, they're usually anywhere between 100 to 150 extra value from if you just had the house on its own. So you're losing money right away when you build the suite on day one, just based on the resale value. So in my opinion, they only make sense to build new if you have either a really good piece of land in an expensive neighborhood or inner city, where you will get more of a premium on the resale side. Or if you don't really mind about the investment per se and you like your house and you just want to continue living there and want to add income. As an investment per se, they usually don't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. As sure. a so, new build, like on the resale market, they make a lot of sense. So you're saying just basic numbers here, but if we're in an older neighborhood, the house is worth 500 and the owner went and put $250,000 backyard suite in, 
and then decide, oh, okay, well, actually, we want to sell our property, they probably only gained about 150 of equity. Yeah, exactly. In most cases, they would probably sell for around 650. Yeah, yeah. Good to note for sure. Mm -hmm. And again, depends on the neighborhood because some area with really, really good piece of land will have more of a resale value. But the problem with those areas, they're usually not good for rentals from a cash flow perspective. So obviously you can see the advantage of actually as an investor watching for these to come up for sale, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then how do people find them? Maybe you can talk about that because I don't think there's any way like on your MLS system to say, oh, I'm only oh, That's a very good point, actually. You need to work with a realtor that is used to these properties because on our MLS system, we have an option for income suite, but there's no option for backyard suites. And unfortunately, realtors are listing those suites in a variety of different ways. They use probably 15 different keywords on how to describe them. Sometimes they're not described at all. So they're pretty difficult to find. Now, because I'm used to those and I hunt for them all the time, I have very specific ways to search them. I know exactly where they are. So I have Joe fences around the areas where suites come up. I know all the terms that are used. So I can find them, but they're difficult for just an investor on their own to find. And there's not a whole lot of supply. That's something we discussed earlier. Most of the supply right now is in Curry Barrack which is a very expensive neighborhood. We're talking million-dollar homes. As an investment, they don't really make a lot of sense unless you want a house hack and live in the house. So, you know, it's not a lot of supplies. You really have to be patient to find the right property that works for you. Yeah, like for Calgary statistics, in 2019, there was only 270 registered. I mean, there might be some that the city isn't aware of that aren't legalized, but like that's a pretty small number for them. It's a very small supply indeed, yeah. And then, yeah, so Curry Barracks had 60. There was what, Mackenzie Town had 29. Bonas only had 12. Mm -hmm. Mount Pleasant, 11. Auburn Bay had eight. Bridgeland had eight. Douglasdale, eight. And Renfrew had eight. So pretty small numbers in the city. Yeah, right? very small number. Airdrie has a fair amount. They probably have almost as much as Calgary in a smaller city. Yeah. But other than that, yes, it's still limited. And even there, they don't come by that often. Right now in the market, there's two suites I could find like at the price that makes sense for investors. And we've got one in Airdrie and one in Severado in Calgary. Okay. So it's, right it's now, not a lot of supply again, right now yeah. in the market. Everything else is over a million dollars and doesn't really make sense. Yeah, for sure. From a return on investment. Yeah, exactly. For people out there that are actually maybe considering, you maybe they have a unique situation they want to have multi-generational have the parents in the back the city does have a website that they can go to and you can type in your address and there's permitting and that kind of information exactly the process is very similar to a secondary suite for a basement so yeah for sure so if we could just chat about so i was actually there this weekend it's pretty awesome what you guys are doing you were doing like a eventbrite meetup at a property flip maybe we can chat about that yeah yeah so that's not my meetup so that was um from Real Estate Investing Masters, I believe. They run a great event where they are giving updates on their flip progress. So it's great because you can see what they're going through, all the demo process, you know, all the issues that they're running into. Because when you're flipping, you usually have a lot of surprises along the way. So that's a great meetup, great place to meet a lot of people. I believe their Facebook group is Real Estate Investing Masters. We also have our own Facebook group with Santosh and I, who's my business partner. We have a Facebook group called Calgary Real Estate Investor Hub, and we host uh, monthly meetups as well. Usually we've got at least 15, 20 people that come by and can network with other investors. So. Nice. That's awesome. With the current market conditions, maybe we can talk about that a little bit in Calgary. So 
Obviously, we got interest rates climbing. We have inflation. Days on market are starting to rise. What do you see for some challenges? Maybe sellers, are they having a hard time with reducing their price, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so right now is an interesting time because outside of Calgary, we're seeing some pretty important price drops. Now, even with those price drops in most markets except Ontario, the prices are still above what they were last year, but still they're having significant price drops. In Calgary, we're not having the same type of market. We've got about a 1% price drop on the benchmark house, which is a typical home in Calgary. So we're not seeing significant pullback on prices. However, we are seeing that the market has cooled off a little bit where we have a bit more time to submit offers. We can do conditional offers for the most part. Sellers are willing to negotiate a little more. So it is changing in that sense, but there's no huge discount in prices yet. And I honestly don't think we're going to see significant discounts either for Calgary, just because we have different fundamentals than a lot of those other markets have. But it is moving toward a more balanced market. But to this day, we're still in the seller's market. So we're not quite there, but I think we'll continue to move toward a balanced market. What about some of these outside communities? So have you seen any difference, say, in Airdrie versus Calgary? Or is it kind of trending about the same? Yeah, those communities are a little different. Airdrie, I believe, has pulled back a little more on prices. They also went up a lot more than Calgary. Uh, Airdrie was almost 10% more in price increase than Calgary overall. So even with their pullback that's a little stronger, they're still ahead of Calgary in price growth. And that's the case for most of the small communities around Calgary. So yeah, it's interesting, right? Like I said, I think it will continue in that direction a little more, but we're in a stronger market overall than the rest of Canada. Yeah, for sure. Back to the, I guess the backyard suites, is there anything that I missed? Are there anything that you would like to share that you can think of for the listeners about backyard suites? Yeah, one thing to know is in most markets, namely Airdrie and Calgary, which are the two biggest for suites, at the moment, you're not allowed to do more than two suites. So if you have a house that already has a legal basement suites, a legal basement suite, or you have a house where you would like to build a basement suite, you can't have both be legalized. So you can't have a garage suite plus a legal basement suite. That's something, there's discussions with the city of Calgary right now. There's some people that are trying to push this forward, but that's something to keep in mind. You do need to go sweep, but obviously you won't be allowed to legalize that. So, Okay, yeah, that's good to know. So I'm just going to hit you with a few kind of quick, rapid questions. Whatever comes to mind, just throw at me. What's an app or software you use for your business that you just couldn't live without? Yeah, so the new one I've been using for about a year now is Tessa. It's technically an app that's built for the U.S. market, but it still works great in Canada. So it's a free app that allows you to do your bookkeeping for your properties, keep track of your receipts track your returns on investment, all these things, and it's completely free. And again, it, even if it's technically built for the US markets, it will connect with most Canadian banks. It, it works pretty well here. I love that app. I meant to ask you this, but are you doing your own property management or are you hiring it out? Yeah, at the moment, I still self-manage all my properties. Okay. So if someone Googles your name, what's something they can't find out about you on Google? Not a whole lot anymore because I'm, <laughs> I'm a realtor now, so I kind of you know share most of my life. So yeah, I would say that it's pretty much uh, all everything's out there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. What's your favorite book? I'm going to be probably broken record here, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad in the investing space is still my favorite book, not for the content itself, but just for the mindset shift that it creates with most people, including myself. Mm. Again, the content is not that great. It's just the mindset shift it creates. It's powerful. 
But if I were to give a second one, I'll cheat here just to not repeat the book that everyone knows about. <laughs> uh, I really like You're Not So Smart. It's not a real estate book. It's not a business book, but it applies to that space. And it's a book that makes you realize how many biases each one of us has. And it's a book about psychology that's really easy to read. It's not a textbook style. So yeah, great book to check out. You're not so smart. I'll have to check that one out. I haven't read that one. And then what things, activities you like doing outside of real estate investing? So with your downtime? Yeah, I like uh, mountain biking, skiing in the winter, pretty outdoorsy. So I like hiking, camping. Usually I like to get out of the city for a bit and enjoy that. I also, in the summer, I like carding. I've got a race cart in Stratmore. We have a club there. So oh. I spend quite a bit of my time there as well. Oh, that's cool. I've never been to one. I've seen those though. But So how fast could one of those go? There's different classes. So the one I have is a two-stroke Rotax, which goes to about 110 kilometer. Wow. It's pretty and you're fast. So, you're so low to the ground. I must feel like you're flying. The G-force on those is close to 2G peak. So just for context, like a really good sports car might hit about 1.1 G. So yep. it's a pretty big workout, actually. That's it's cool. A lot of fun, though. I got to check that out sometime. Yeah, for sure. Great place. What about if people want to get in contact with you? What's the best way for them to find you online? Yeah, so best place is uh, Instagram. You can also contact me on Facebook. So my Instagram is investwithanthony.ca. So you can check that out. And you can also, uh, like I said, look me up on Facebook and uh, follow me there as well. Okay, awesome. Instagram has my link tree as well. So you can figure out all the other places you can find me. Perfect. That's great. Thanks so much for joining me today and having a great chat about your journey and Backyard Suites. Yeah, same for you. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent. I also have a certification as a master home inspector. I'm currently partnering on a property flip in Calgary with Shirley Evans, who I consider to be a professional property flipper. Shirley has a wealth of real estate knowledge. We're going to be offering Eventbrite meetups at the property. So if you're in the Calgary area, we'd love for you to stop by and check it out. If you'd like to reach out to me directly, my number is 587-893-2272. You can follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey or check out my website, and that's just coreypeckford.com. Plus, you can also join our new Facebook group, Calgary Real Estate Investing Group. That's Craig for short. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.